Right, welcome along to another episode of the How I Caught the Wrestling Bug podcast. I'm your host, David Lovell, and I'm delighted to say joining me is someone who I think it's fair to say this podcast just wouldn't exist without this person because everyone I've had on this show and will continue to all come from the Fight Game podcast Facebook group. And this man is the guy that set it all up. Double G himself, Garrett Gonzalez. How's it going? Hey man, that's actually really cool to hear because like when you create something, well obviously create a podcast, you know, you want to create a little bit of a of a listenership and and created a little bit of an ecosystem to communicate with people. And when we decided to create the Facebook group, I was hoping that it would actually turn into something similar to what it's turned into. But I didn't think it was going to be actually as cool as it was because, you know, social media, online communities, there there's a few people who are out there to, you know, spoil the game a little bit, to be a little frustrating because they get a kick out of it. But, you know, we've had a pretty good... We've had pretty good luck with people coming in and being engaging, you yourself, with creating posts and, you know, really getting the dynamite threads going. Like, that's, that's really what it takes is, so, is, is people who feel like the community is just as much theirs as it is mine. Like, that's the goal. Like, I, did, I wanted to create it, and I wanted to get it out there so that people felt just as comfortable posting about anything as I did. And when it gets to that level, then you know it's actually pretty successful and you know you being invited had actually who's a person who uh who brought you in i can't even remember i can't even remember either i I, i've not even been part of the group for that long i mean i think it was like september that i joined but it feels like so long ago now and i can't even remember how i know you know obviously i was furloughed from work last year and i had an awful lot of time at home and I spent an awful lot of it listening to podcasts, and obviously yours is one of them I listen to a lot. And that's how I think I became aware of the Facebook group. But I don't remember who, how I actually joined in the first place. But um, I can't imagine now what I was doing before online because it, it takes up so much of my time. But I, I really do enjoy it, and it, it's such a great community. You know, everyone, as you say, most of these forums or groups, there's always bad apples yeah you know, in mm-hmm. there that ruins ruins the bunch kind of thing but yeah I, I really feel that we've had such a great um it's such a great community and everyone gets on we, there's going to be disagreements here and there but everyone does it in a very civilized manner which is rare you know wrestling forums these days i think but uh you must be really proud of how it's how it's all um turned out well my background in my career really started in internet community going back to the year 2000 when the internet sort of changed you had a chat mess you had a AOL instant messenger you had uh, forums like you said but there weren't any websites really that had person to person communication on an actual website so the website that I had worked for you, we had people writing reviews and then we had people commenting on those reviews and it it was like really one of the the first kind of back and forth they call it internet 2.0 uh websites out there so that was my first really uh foray into community and i really loved it Uh, i i just i loved having a community of users i loved finding out what they wanted to do with the website getting their feedback 
uh, you know, working with engineers to see what they could possibly do. Like that has been my career up until now. I'm doing something a little bit different now, but I'm very related. And so my instinct every, around everything is an internet community. So when we did the podcast, I was like, gosh, you know, there's something missing. What can we do? What can we do? What can we do? And I was like, gosh, you know, this Facebook group product is getting so much better than it was. Like, let's go for it. And I'm so happy with it. Like, I can't even take credit for this, though, because, you know, where all of these people came from and all the people that I met, at least the first wave of the group, they were all originally I met through uh, F4W online slash Wrestling Observer and also through the uh, Las Vegas conventions that I've been going to pretty much since the I think it's technically the second one, but it was really the first one that wasn't uh, Brian and Vinny and Ed in San Antonio. So, all, you know, it's through that, like, Brian, I know Brian doesn't like to take credit for this, but he really is the king when it comes to really putting community and uh, pro wrestling together. And, you know, the, the, it goes back, right? You know, we, we, we talked to John Arezzi recently, and he was kind of like, I don't know if he's the inventor of the wrestling convention, but it's but he's kind of like one of the first people to do it, and so it's an extension of that. Like Brian didn't create the idea, or Ed San Antonio didn't create the idea, but it it really was like when you pair the internet, and you pair this community of uh, people with like, um, you know, the like-minded hobby, and then you go, oh, let's go to Vegas, and we've never met each other in person, and let's just figure it all out. And do, I mean, it's, it's kind of risky, right? Like, you know, 20 years ago, when I first started doing this kind of stuff, people were, like, legitimately afraid. Like, what? Are you crazy? You're going to get killed. But no, you know, it really evolved. And But that's what I always give credit to. Brian is hesitant to take it because, you know, he's doesn't – I think he's a little bashful in that way, but he, he really created – the greatest pro wrestling website out there. Right. And what we are is really just an evolution of that. And, uh, you know, everybody, you know, pretty much everybody in our group has some sort of either relationship to that website or they just know it because, you know, Meltzer is very well known. So it, it, that, you know, I, I can't take credit for it fully without giving respect and credit to F4W. And it's evolved so much from even when I started when I first joined back in September. It's it's come such a long way, and 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 the fight game podcast in of itself has come a long way as now. Obviously, now with the, the Patreon, how are you finding that? I mean, obviously, you've tinkered a little bit with the uh, the tier system uh, for subscribers or, or yeah, patrons. Um, are you happy with how it's all going? Yeah, you know, I think whenever you do something like that, like your initial instinct, and look, I come from. A background of startup companies, right? Like I, my my company that I'm currently working for, I'm a co-founder, and so when you start a company, like everything is just growth, 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 growth. If you're not growing, you're not trying, you're not working hard enough, and so there's a little bit of I, I feel like I put a little bit of pressure on myself to think in that mindset, but it, it's it's different, right? Like it's it's not. Um, it's not something that is easy to grow. It's not like, you know, if I had Meltzer and Alvarez and we were like, okay, we're going to do this thing and we're going to, you know, charge people. Like, they're so well known that you get people immediately. They're like, oh, yeah, here's my 10 bucks. They're established, obviously, but, like, that's the kind of star power that it generally takes to get something like that started. So 
when we first started, you know, really it's about friends and family, like who who wants to support you. And once we we had one meeting after I, I, I started, uh, sort of saw it plateauing out, and we decided to try some things. That's also what you have to do. You have to be willing to experiment. You have to be willing to move quickly. And then, you know, we adjusted. We took some feedback. I sort of never really liked the pricing in the beginning. I always wanted to change it. And we did, and we made some changes. And, you know, we're just we're, we're working really hard on improving the, the podcast that we do. You know, I, per, I edit about, uh, I would say, about 75% of them. And so that's time-consuming. But it's, it is, it's my you know, hobby. It's my passion. It's something that I really enjoy doing. So, uh, yeah, I, I would say even, you know, we're up to a decent amount of, uh, of subscribers now to where, you know, everybody who's joined can you know, get a little little bit of chunk of change here. It's, I mean, it's more than I made with the Fight Game podcast early on, you know, when we first started it, like when we first started putting ads on there. Like, that's a hard thing to do, too, is just to grow. And so, you know, the Patreon, I'm, I'm happy with it. Obviously, we want to grow. We want to do better. I'm always looking for other stuff to, to bring on and other people to bring on. But, you know, it, it's, it's something that if you're in it for the long run, you're going to have to, you know, be okay with the ups and the downs and the plateaus and the slow parts and just power through and continue to uh, kind of just be as creative as possible with stuff. And I'm, I suppose you're always on the lookout for, for new content as well. Um, and other avenues you can you can explore. I mean, the fight game, you know, podcast in and of itself is is such a broad because you've got you know, obviously wrestling, but you've got also MMA and, and boxing, and also you're looking at doing podcasts with with Chris, of course, about uh, Cobra Kai and about the Karate yeah. movie. So it, it's kind of like all encompassing, isn't it? Well, I look at it as kind of like it's like it's like when you when you look so. Just, you know, think of like the Joe Rogan podcast, right? Part of the reason why Joe is so successful is because it's not about one thing. Like, he he's not uh, stopped from bringing on any celebrity who wants to come on because it's really just an internet show. Now, Joe has his strengths. Obviously, he's, you know, he, he's a brilliant jiu-jitsu MMA mind. He's got these wacky conspiracies that people always love to talk about. But if he want, like, he's also been a, a host in in Hollywood. Like, he he understands certain things, so he doesn't limit himself to just talking about one thing. When you make it about the three combat sports that you that you mentioned, you do sort of limit it, and and it's it, it's not a bad thing either because it, it creates uh, what your structure is immediately. But at the same time, you know, I'm a big baseball fan, and I'm a big basketball fan, and I'm I'm a big football fan. And unless I talk to somebody in that field, like for instance, uh, I don't, you, you, I don't know if you're an American football fan, but um, one of the uh, the big writers at ESPN, he's a guy by the name of Bill Barnwell, just a brilliant freak, like almost too smart <laughs> to write about football, like just so brilliant and and so great. And I uh, I was in Vegas with uh, Meltzer, and we went to the f- very first Double or Nothing ticket party and so it's kind of like you know there's an opportunity to do some interviews and you know i'm i'm not known obviously in that field obviously dave and brian are very well known and so i can kind of just walk around and almost be invisible to the rest of the wrestling media but i'm also tied to Meltzer, so i know that you know no matter what we got omega and we got tony khan so i don't even have to really care about 
you know, looking for interviews or whatever. And um, at that same ticket party is is uh, Bill Barnwell. And so I recognize Barnwell. And to me, Barnwell is just as big of like a, I'll use the word star, but, you know, when you're, when you're back there and you're with talent, like you can't kind of go, oh, like that's Chris Jericho. You just sort of go, oh, cool, that's Chris. What's up, Chris? And... You know, same with, but, but to me, Barnwell's like, oh my God, I've always wanted to meet Bill. And that's why I kind of like reacted in a funny way. But to everybody else, like, I'm sure a few people knew who, knew who Bill was, but it's not like Bill was to everybody else, like how he was to me. And so I, I you know, I, I'm just like, I just start drilling him on football questions, 49ers, blah, 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 blah. And, and so it's like, God, you know, I would love to interview Bill. I would love to bring Bill on. But is he really going to talk about his pro wrestling fandom, being that he's got his own podcast on ESPN and he's like this big, you know, he's he's their big football writer from the analytics side, and so like that's that's the hard part of this is I'm sure there are people out there who are definitely fans and could talk about it. It would be a lot of fun to interview, but limiting it to kind of like the the combat sports thing probably makes it a little bit tougher. That's one thing where. You know why I brought in the Cobra Kai stuff and why I'm doing some pop culture stuff for the Patreon because the Patreon does give me a little bit of leeway. Like people don't want to listen to me talk about, you know, a movie or hip hop music or um, the real world. Like they they just like, oh, I'm just not going to listen to that that podcast. But there might be other people who are super interested, and it gives them a little bit extra from just the wrestling and the MMA and the boxing stuff. So. Um, you know, at some point, I would love to do more interviews that are not super wrestling focused. But the other side of it is, is that that's where the in is for me, right? That's where I can actually get people because they know me through Dave. And so I was like, okay, well, that's just how we do it right now. And maybe down the line, I'll broaden that a little bit and and, and do other stuff. But for now, I'm I'm happy and it's fun. When was it you met Dave originally? I would have met Dave in person. Uh, it would have been like 2006, I think. I, I, I could probably like find the photo in my iPhoto and figure out what the actual date was, but let's just go for 2006. I, I've been a subscriber since, I believe, since 99. And I would send in letters, and Dave would produce some of the letters, and I would trade emails with him back and forth, and... I met him at a uh, charity run. It was for the uh, the Army Ranger, Pat Tillman, who died via friendly fire. And he's from the Bay Area. Dave is from San Jose. Dave and I both went to the same college, uh, I don't know, 15 years apart or whatever. Whatever that number is, 17 years apart. Um, and, and so my buddy had worked at the Gold's Gym that Dave used to always go to in Campbell. And so he would always tell me, like, he'd see Dave, and he'd ask Dave a wrestling question or whatever, and, and then, you know, he'd get a kick out of it. And so we're at this run, and we're, it's for the charity run, I'm with my kids and my parents, and all of a sudden he's like, oh, there's Dave. And I was like, oh, I should probably introduce myself. Like, I've been a subscriber, and, you know, I'm just such a fan of his work. I should probably introduce myself. So I went and introduced myself. I think his son, uh, Cody, his son Cody would have been – Gosh, how old is Cody now? His son Cody would have been like, I don't know, like four or something. Right. 
And and so I just introduced myself. He remembers me because I'm sure he probably remembers a lot of the San Jose subscribers. And so we, we just chit-chat for like, I don't know, I would say two minutes tops. And so then, fast forward a few years, one of the conventions, uh, what was the year that uh, Macho Man Savage would have passed away? Uh, 2011? Okay, so that was probably the one. I had been around Dave previous to that at these conventions, just saying hi and kind of chit-chat. But that, I think it was that year, we have this big ballroom thing where there's prizes and people are hanging out. And it's like a buffet style. And I'm sitting over at a table and Dave comes into the room and he just does one of those things where he looks around the entire room just looking for somebody he recognizes. He recognizes me and he beelines over to me. And so he sits right next to me because he like, not that he even knew me that well, but he, I was the one guy that he had recognized. I'm sure he's looking for Brian or, or whomever. And, uh, and so then we just chit chat and we just start talking and, you know, he's really comfortable and I just, I'm just bringing people over who I know and just, yeah, come over on our side. We're, you know, we're just talking wrestling. And so, you know, that was really our first, uh, real moment of where I had him for more than, you know, 10 minutes or whatever. He was just hanging out. And so that's really where we got to know each other. And then it would have been, um, two years later, uh, John LaRocca, obviously the my co-host on the podcast, he was booking indies in San Jose for his for a wrestling company called Premier Wrestling, and um, Dave would come to the shows, and so I would, you know, I would go sit next to Dave, or he would come sit next to me, and we'd just be chatting for the whole show. So that's that's kind of how we really became friends. And then one time I went to go watch a show at Dave's house. I sent him a note and I was like, ah, oh, you know, my cables, something happened. And who's there at Dave's house is John LaRocca. <laughs> and I'm just like, what the heck? I didn't know you came to Dave's. He's like, oh, yeah, you know, it's like my second or third time coming to Dave's. And so that's really how John and I became good friends. I'd been going to John's shows, like maybe maybe two, like one or two shows. And then he was at Dave's. And then I was just with, that, with, with, with John. And, you know, Dave's kind of working while he's watching the wrestling. And me and John were just chopping it up. And so really, like, that union... You know, when, when just by luck, you know, I, I forgot, I don't know, it was like the Shields versus the Wyatts or something, or maybe even before that. Uh, but, you know, that's how we kind of started hanging out. And then, you know, pretty much after that, we just went to every single, uh, every single pay-per-view at Dave's house. It was like one, like every, you know, four Sundays or whatever it was, it's me and it's John and it's, it's Dave's, uh, two of Dave's friends, the, um, one of them who he's mentioned on the on, on the show before who passed away recently. And another friend, Edward, who he hasn't been around because his kids are a little older. But, yeah, like, we would just be there, like, every Sunday. It was, it was so much fun. It was like, yeah, the shows were, like, not great at that time. And that's why it was so much fun because it's just John and John's got this, like, crazy pro-wrestling mind. And then Dave's got this crazy pro-wrestling mind. And then Dave's other buddy, Dave, who's no longer with us, he's just so curious, but he also had the pro wrestling history. So I was just soaking it up. Like, I was just like, okay, like, this is a time for me to, uh, you know, to just soak everything in and learn and, and really engage with these guys. And, and, uh, you know, cause you know, those type of moments don't happen often. And, and, and for, I'm, I mean, I'm lucky it turned into a really strong friendship and John and I are tight. Dave and I are tight. We still get to see Edward every once in a while. It's a really fun crew just to hang out and watch wrestling. And when was it you started doing Observer Radio? 
That would have been, I think it's uh, maybe, gosh, it's, it's like, I, I see the thing on my account. It's like 28 months ago I started, and it was because, uh, you know, Brian's got young kids now, and Dave had wanted to do a show. Brian was unable to do it, and he asked me if I knew how to do it, and I was like, kind of, like I kind of, I mean, I could do it from my house. And so I used this recorder, and it didn't have a great mic, and Brian listened to it. He's like, okay, hold on. I'm going to send you something better. And so he sent me uh, one of those Zoom recorders, and he sent me a couple of Shure mics. And, and I was like, oh, so you want me to keep doing these? <laughs> and he's like, yep, you're saving me some time because I'm so busy right now. And, you know, Dave, I know Dave wants to record a lot. And so I'm like, all right. And at that point um, – Gosh, where was I? I would have been. I would have been in, in Gilroy still, which is about thirty. Uh, I would say thirty minutes away from Dave. So you know, we would have to time it when when I could go over there. Uh, but my kids, you know, were already in high school and college by then. So I had the free time, and I wanted to learn how to do it really well. I, I mean, obviously, you can imagine. I was very worried about the reception. I think because I was so unknown to that audience and it just gave them a different voice than how Brian, uh, Brian shows with Dave go. And I strategic, I mean, I don't have Brian's personality, so I could never do a show like he does it. So I had to sort of be myself. And I think that created a nice little co uh, contrast to, to their shows and people seem to dig it. Um, I would just ask Dave, like, how, how did that go? Did people like it? He said, oh, yeah, people really liked it. They liked it when we talked about X. And so he would give me certain feedback. And I go, okay, I'm going to put that in, my, in the back of my mind. And we're, we'll, I'll keep doing certain things like that every show. And it was like, you know, using real sports comparisons to certain things. Or it was talking a little bit more about, like, this business thing that maybe Brian's not as interested in, in about, but I'm a little bit more interested in. So... That's really how it happened. And once we got the sound figured out, like that was my also my big worry is like, gosh, Brian and Dave's show sounds so good. Like I need to be able to replicate that or else it's going to drive me nuts. And I'm asking Lance Storm for help. I'm asking John Pollock for help. Uh, there's a guy who I found on Twitter um, who really helped me a lot. And so, you know, this is like when it comes to podcasting, you know, the medium is still so brand new, and, and it's not like everybody has a sound engineering background or anything, and we're all kind of starting from the same uh, same point. And so I was just open to everybody's feedback because I, I just wanted the shows to sound good, and I figured it out. You know, I, I put a little bit of money into it for sure because I wanted to, to try and, and figure out how to – you know, Brian's sound is such a great goal, and I'll never get there because the guy has a, a studio in his house. But if I can get close to how his show sound when Dave and I do it, I I'm pretty happy because I know Brian's is like top of the line sound quality. And if I can get close, then I'm pretty happy because, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts and outside of the studio podcast, not many people can get close to that level. So you hit on this sort of winning formula. You you would go over there on a on a Friday and 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 record a podcast, and then the the pandemic hit and everything changed. So how how did you sort of cope with that? Yeah, that was tough because one of the pros in Dave and I recording that was different from him and Brian is that Dave and Brian almost never record in person. 
there will be times when Brian would, would, would actually make it out to San Jose, and then they would get together, and I would always get a kick out of those shows because I could see Brian able to read Dave's face, and I could see <laughs> Dave a, able to read Brian's face because they, they would just be so much more in tune. And so uh, I was like, okay, that is that is the one thing that I can actually bring to the table is this because I'm right in front of this guy, I could just I could have that chemistry with him, and uh, that that's going to be something that you cannot duplicate uh, when you don't see that person. And so when that happens, it's like, oh great, there we go. That that's where this podcast fails for us because I don't I no longer have that intimacy when it comes to being able to see him directly in front of me and see his reactions and see you know when I could tell he's getting bored on something or when he's getting really excited, and so. Uh, we have this thing, uh, this software that I use called Squadcast, and I've been using it for my podcasts with John. It's the best one that I've found so far, as far as high quality in these vo- voice over IP connections. And it's a technology thing, and I was really worried that you know Dave wasn't going to be able to figure it out. So I, what I would do is, I, I would go to his house. And this is during the pandemic. Um, I would, uh, you know, stay about 20 feet away from him. <laughs> I would say, okay, give me your computer. I'm going to set it up for you. Don't change anything. Plug the mic in here. And then once w- once I get home, I will dial it up and everything should be good. I mean, we've had a few hiccups here and there, but he's kind of, he's figured it out now, which is kind of cool. Like if he gets knocked off or something, somehow he can get back on. But so that part, the technology part was great. And then... Now, you know, this is probably people are going to probably roll their eyes, but now how I see him is literally with my ears. I have to be so present to our conversations that I have to hear his excitement and his boredom and his transitions. And when I can tell he doesn't really want to go, but it's just he's always on, he's always going, going, going. So sometimes I just kind of cut, cut it off and move on. I have to use that now just through the listening. So I've had to get super dialed in to my listening of his voice to figure that part out. And who knows, maybe when we get back in, in person, I may lose that skill. But yeah, that's that's basically what I had to do. I just had to be so in tune with his vocal cues that uh, in order to do the show that we do. Because it can be really hard when you when you can't see the person you're talking to. You can sometimes be falling over each other, and it, it, it can really not work at all. But yeah, I think you've you've really seemed to have hit on a, a winning formula, and it, it really is a contrast to the Brian show, which I really like. But this podcast, and normally when I do the introduction, um, it doesn't take sort of half an hour before we get to the questions. <laughs> but this is this is a this slightly different type of show because I'm sure people yeah. are getting a kick out of hearing all this stuff because. Uh, I think people will find it really interesting. But obviously this podcast is all about how you became a fan in the first place. So what is your sort of earliest memory of wrestling? I mean, when was the first time you would have come across it? Yeah, so I would have come across it probably like a lot of people my age, which is through the Hulkamania era. I have vague memories of, and, and also via Mr. T, because I am such a Rocky fan. So Clubber Lang was like the scariest villain in the history of, of TV for me when I'm six and seven years old. So I know 
wrestling through Mr. T and through Hulk Hogan, but I'm not really paying that close attention to it. I think my dad didn't really want me to get sucked in because he was a wrestling fan when he was a kid, and then when he realized what it really was, I think he just just disliked it. And so very early in, in me watching, like he told me exactly what it was, so I didn't have to figure out the kayfabe thing by my on my own like he flat out told me what was what was going on so it would have been um the word would have got sucked in is i don't don't even ask me i'm nine years old why i'm up at midnight watching saturday night main event i my mom was pretty pretty cool with my bedtime because she knew that i was a fairly responsible youngster so i just remember it's like 11 30 Hogan and Don Morocco are in the match, and all of a sudden, Mr. Fuji, who's his manager, he's sick, so who takes his spot is Bobby the Brain Heenan. And I'm like, at nine years old, I'm like, okay, wait a second here. Something's up. Like, there's something's going to happen in this match. Obviously, that's when pro wrestling is at its best, right? When everybody can figure out what's coming on. Uh, and, but then you feel smart when you can predict it, and I think that's part of the... Uh, part of what gets people sucked in about wrestling. So all of a sudden, King Kong Bundy comes in. Gorilla Monsoon is screaming that he Pearl Harbored the Hulkster. I don't think we would use that <laughs> that terminology these days. But, you know, that's what, I, that's what I remember. And so, you know, Hogan is now, I, now I'm in. Like, I liked Hogan. I thought he was kind of cool. But now that King Kong Bundy and Morocco and Heenan, they were three on one on this dude. And this dude is selling like he is like just out of it. You know, he even though he was such a big dude, he was always such a really good seller when it came to angles like this. And yeah, that was the moment. It, I mean, it's like it's midnight now after this match is over. And my eyes are so wide open going like, oh, my God, I need to watch what happens next week on, you know, superstars or, or whatever. Uh, so that that was the moment, though, from that moment. You know, to get me at nine years old to be sucked into to Hulkamania, like hook, line, and sinker, I mean, man, the brilliance of that kind of storytelling with that kind of hero uh, for, for them was, I'm sure, I'm sure that story, if it's not that match with Morocco and Bundy, maybe it's the match with Andre or the angle with Andre. Maybe it's even before that with Roddy Piper, but... They, Vince, man, Vince had the winning formula back then, and he had the right person to uh, to play that formula out. Who are some of the other guys that, aside from Hogan, who are the other guys that really captured your imagination as a kid? As a kid, I would say the British Bulldogs, because they, they were such a different style. Like, WWF style was like this kind of slow and plodding thing. And then you had these Bulldogs who were, just, you know, tired of my kids racing around the ring 100 miles an hour. I really liked uh, Tito Santana from his like Intercontinental Championship days. He was such a great baby face. Always getting screwed by the bad guys, though. Greg the Hammer and Macho Man always just like screwing poor Tito. Um, and then, you know, obviously the Ricky the Dragon. I, and I didn't really know his history because, you know, when you, when you discover something as a kid and you don't have Google and YouTube and everything, you just assume that, you know, the origin story starts then. Like, you don't even realize that there's all this history. So I didn't know about, you know, Flair and Steamboat matches from the, from the, uh, just, just a couple years before. Uh, but yeah, Ricky, Ricky was great, you know, and, you know, also because of he had the, the, uh, heel 
in Macho Man Randy Savage to, to play off of. So it's stuff like that that you don't realize when you're a kid, which is, you know, you love these baby faces so much because the heels were also so good at their job. But yeah, those are those are my favorites. And then you know, Brutus comes in, and him and Hogan are buddies. So of course, then I'm you know I'm I'm a fan of Brutus. But you know, when it came to like my childhood, childhood, it was really Hogan and the Bulldogs and and Steamboat, and and they were kind of like always like my favorite guys. So it was all sort of WWF. But when did you become aware of other territories at that time? I would say that I watched. Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes before I ever saw anything else, but I just didn't realize what it was. Right, okay. I was talking to uh, Andrew Zarian, who hosts the Matman podcast with his buddy Rich, and uh, I was telling him how I had wa- I'd been watching this. Uh, I'd come across it. You know, you just back then. You know, we're just flicking channels when it's late at night because you're so bored. And there was a Gordon Soley and Joe Pettisino show. Uh, it's called. Well, it's like Pro Wrestling This Week or something. And they would show from all the different areas of professional wrestling, they would show the highlights of what's going on. And I don't remember the year, but they were talking about one of the Starcade Dusty Rhodes and Ric Flair matches. And so when he, you know, Gordon Soli's talking about the Nature Boy, and then he's talking about the American Dream, in my brain, because I'm looking at these two men and not knowing who they are, I just assumed Flair was the American Dream. And that Dusty was the nature boy, because to me, like, Flair looked like what you would consider the American dream to look like. He's in this robe, he's got these women, and, like, if somebody said, oh, yeah, Dusty, like, okay, the nature boy, this really overweight dude whose tights are too small, yeah, he's, I, I could see that. And so I had no idea, it wasn't until, like, I would say, maybe two or three years later, when I got sucked into the NWA, that I was like, oh my God, I had these guys mixed up the entire time. And and it's just because, like, you know, I was just taking the literal meaning of what I thought their nicknames meant and had no idea about the history of the guys. So that, that would have been, you know, probably 84, maybe. But I didn't really know what it was. I, I didn't get sucked in until uh, 87, though, because... Um, Starcade on Thanksgiving, I wanted to watch the Survivor Series, but I was one of the four or five markets that called Vince McMahon's bluff because he wanted everyone to pull Starcade off of the cable, their cable network so that his uh, Survivor Series could be exclusive. And he was saying, you know, if you, if you don't do this, you don't get WrestleMania 4. And so my cable company was one of the four cable companies who was like, nope, we signed this deal with Crockett first. We're going to keep our word. And so when I get home and my dad gives me the tape of what I think is going to be Survivor Series with Hogan and Andre uh, in, the, in, you know, in the main event elimination match, and I turn it on and I see you know Rick Steiner and Sting and uh, Barry Windham against Dr. Death, I'm like, what the F is going on? I, I was really mad, you know, as a, I would have been like 11. I was so mad because, you know, back then you didn't get to see Hogan that much. You'd only get to see him in interviews. And if you went to the house shows, and my dad wasn't about to take me to house shows. So, you know, I'm just so mad. And then I'm like, you know what? At least it's wrestling. I'm going to sit here. I'm going to watch it. And I like Ric Flair. I don't know too much about him. Uh, I like Dusty. And so I probably ended up watching that tape 
maybe more than uh, the other tapes because what was happening back then is I was also getting into wrestling magazines and the Pro Wrestling Illustrated, they weren't anti-WWF, right? Because they needed the WWF guys to sell the covers of the magazines. But WWF also had their own Pro Wrestling magazine. And so, you know, they didn't, they didn't really allow for uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated to have the access that maybe it once did. And so they would, you know, they would really promote NWA hard as like the, if you're a pro wrestling fan and you enjoy the in-ring, like NWA is the in-ring. And if you're a WWF fan, the pomp and the circumstance and the production, like, yeah, that's great. But the in-ring is NWA. So as a young pro wrestling fan, I was like, okay, I got to be a real wrestling fan. So I got to watch this other stuff too. And so that's when I got sucked into NWA. And so at that point, you know, from you know, late 87, 88, through about, I would say, 93, 94, I was pretty current on both products, as, as well as pay-per-views, because my next-door neighbor had one of those uh, great, one of the greatest inventions of all times, the old black box, so I got to watch pretty much every pay-per-view I wanted to. So you were old enough to sort of appreciate that what you were seeing in NWA was a, was a lot better wrestling-wise than what the WBF was doing. Yeah, WrestleMania 4, not getting WrestleMania 4 was no great loss because that was not a great WrestleMania. Yeah, you know, it, it, was, um, it was a nice contrast, though, because if you're a Hogan guy, the way that WWF would build those programs, it's like, yeah, you know, we're going to put some things on the undercard, and they're memorable because, you know, Jake's got a snake, and Rick Rude has faces on his tights, and Ultimate Warrior's got tassels. So, But it was really like, here's the stuff, and, you know, we're not going to give you too much because we want you to really peak for whatever Hogan is going to do. And Hogan would always, you know, pretty much give you what you wanted, which is this simple story of the underdog babyface coming back there's a heel there's maybe a manager but just the odds are always stacked up and then he would come out on top and you know then he'd pose and you'd be a really happy fan but the other side it was a little reverse right because rick flair is a heel champion and so when you when you have shows that don't end with the hero winning and raising his hand that natural storyline isn't happening. You have to give people something else. So, you know, you would get a, a lot of the hero stuff. You'd get it kind of in the middle or in uh, the, you know, the semi-mains with whether it's the Road Warriors or whether it's Dusty. And what you'd get with Flair is you'd get this really great match. But what it was was like a, the, the biggest tease of all time so that you'd go back and you'd watch the next TV because, you know, it's, it's, it's Ric Flair you know, in, in the, the torture rack and he's about to tap out, but because Lex Luger's forehead is bleeding too much, the referee stops the match. And as a fan, you go, Oh my God, Lex Luger just won the championship. Nope. He didn't tune in next Saturday. And, you know, we'll tell you exactly what happened. And that was kind of the thing. So just, it's just a different way of doing things, but you had to, um, I, I, I think you I think you had to really understand the rhythm of what both companies were doing to really get it because there were a lot of people who didn't like I would have friends who were like oh my god how can you watch that NWA stuff the arena's so dark it looks like they're in the tiniest building doesn't even look like there's 
people there. And then there were other NWA fans going like, how can you watch WWF? It's so boring. These matches are so slow. Nothing happens. And I was just a fan. I, I, I liked having two different things to watch. Like it, I think it really also helped me understand the different psychologies of, of wrestling and how, you know, something didn't only have to be one way. Like if you grew up only watching WWF, you probably grew up only understanding one kind of psychology because, you know, even t- today they, they literally have one kind of wrestling psychology. But, you know, if you had the different territories and you had the NWA, I couldn't watch the AWA. I found it really boring. But, you know, I'd see the old world class tapes and then um, there'd be some some other stuff on ESPN, uh, Global. And so you saw this different stuff and you're like, okay, like there is variation and it's it's not only the same thing every time, and I think that helped me understand, like, because to where we are today, right? You have AEW who does things a specific way, right. you have WWE who does things a, a specific way, and then you watch New Japan, you're like, oh my god, like they do this, you know, with probably you know the best wrestling out of all of them. So you know, you just have like this open mind to certain things. I mean, did you have friends that were like you that liked everything, or or, or did you fit, find that most friends either were in the one camp or the other? I would say that ninety percent of my friends were only aware of the biggest things that happened on WWF because of Hulk Hogan or the Ultimate Warrior. But I had one friend, and uh, he he became my best friend. He's the best man at my at my wedding, you know, uh, six months ago. He liked both, and and I think he even leaned a little bit toward uh, NWA because he was really a big Sting and Steiner Brothers guy, and so he would like remind me, like we'd be at school. I met him when we were in seventh grade. He would remind me that you know don't forget to watch Clash, Clash of Champions on Wednesday night because Wednesday night's not a traditional wrestling night for me. It was like. Monday night, you have primetime wrestling, and then you have your stuff on the weekends. He'd have to remind me. Wednesday night, don't forget to turn on Clash. And so he and I, you know, we we became friends uh, at, what was it, you know, 13 years old, 14 years old. And he still he still watches today. He doesn't, I'm sure he doesn't watch as closely, but he tries to keep keep up with everything. Uh, but yeah, he was he was the one guy. So one friend growing up who was sort of a fan like me. But yeah, the, most everybody else was like, oh, you know, what's Hogan doing? And I would tell him, I go, oh, that's all I really need to know. Did you remain a Hogan guy throughout? Cause I know that even when he uh, won the title at uh, WrestleMania Nine, I mean, you you were still you were still a fan of Hogan at that point. Oh, I dropped the leg right with him on the on the <laughs> ground. Yeah, on nobody. Uh, yeah, I, I, I was. I mean, I'm I'm such a loyalist in in that sense. Even when he went to WCW. And I could tell he's a little bit of a fish out of water with that audience, but he did bring, uh, you know, a, a bigger audience to that show, and I stuck with him. I think him turning heel as part of the NWO probably extended me watching WCW because I was kind of out of it at the end there in like 95 and early 96 with WCW. I was kind of out of it with wrestling in general because I was in college and it's not as easy to, you know, keep watching all the things that you were watching when you're in college. Uh, but yeah, like, you know, I would, I would pay attention to what NWO was doing and even more so than I would pay attention to what Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels were doing. Cause I just saw them 
as you know being uh, a little bit of a lower well the young uh, bar. Duke was that yeah yeah there's yeah. just a little little you know not from a wrestling standpoint because I really really loved Bret Hart's matches but just from like a importance standpoint right it's like oh Hogan goes to WCW that's probably if I'm if I don't have as much time to watch wrestling anymore I probably do have to at least pay attention to Hogan and so that was really my focus and then you know when he, when the NWO stuff happened I was in I wouldn't say I was as big of a fan as I was like in you know 1991 where I was like a gigantic crazy fan but when he was there I was paying attention and it wouldn't be really until Austin caught fire to where I just I, and I was uh, I, I would have been done with college by then or almost done with college and so I was like right back in but um, yeah it would have been Hogan that kind of kept me there when it would probably have been easy for me to drop off what was the first live event that you attended it was a sea show in San Jose and the main event was I want to say I've, I've, I've looked I've actually looked this up because there's some really cool websites that have these old cards. It was 1988. I want to say it was DiBiase and Hacksaw as the main event. So this is a C show, right? Your A show in 88 probably has uh, Hogan and, um, I don't know, Macho Man at that point. And then... Your B show would have had like Rick Rude and the Ultimate Warrior, and then your C show is Ted DiBiase <laughs> and Hacksaw Jim Duggan. So I was, uh, you know, I wasn't disappointed. It was still you get to still see wrestling, but it's a smaller card, you know, that's at the Civic Auditorium. Though there were still probably several thousand people there, um, but it was more just you get to see this in person. You can see how big these guys are. Like people. I don't think people realize like how large of a human being Ted DiBiase and Hacksaw Jim Duggan are like legitimately giant humans. And so even when they're, you know, doing their normal work in the ring and you can tell that, you know, they're not really killing each other, just the fact that their bodies would bump into each other. And, you know, both of these dudes are 235, 40 pounds and, you know, that's just a lot of a lot of human being. And so that was what was so impressive to me. Like, none of the matches really stood out. But what stood out was these dudes are big and they are strong. And while it may not be real, the pounding that their body takes is very impressive. And I, and I, have, like, I have visual memories of seeing these dudes just do like a, a straight up like... Um, like a shoulder block right where they just run into each other and nobody moves like that was like oh my gosh seeing that in person for the first time was crazy at any point did you sort of stop watching altogether so you said about sort of 95 when you were in college you know, you weren't really able to keep tabs on it that closely i mean it wasn't the best time either from a from a wrestling standpoint at that point and obviously 95 was a particularly bad year for the wf in particular but um at any other time did you sort of like not watch at all do you stop watching altogether at any point i think there have been there's never been a moment probably since eight, uh, 98 where i just stopped watching completely i've been frustrated with monday night raw many times and just stopped watching monday night raw 
but then continue to watch pay-per-views. And now there's so much wrestling to watch, it'll just never happen. Like, I could be completely dissatisfied with WWE, but there's other so many other things to watch I would never just stop watching, I don't think. But, yeah, that was just that, that period of time. It was probably like 95, 96, maybe some parts of 97 where I wasn't watching weekly, but I would catch up on a pay-per-view or I'd go rent a tape just to catch up so I knew what was going on. Uh, you know, in the in the stories, and you know, I think a lot of people will say this, but the second I became a Wrestling Observer subscriber, that that's also your link, right? It's like right. Dave is there so that if you miss something, he'll explain it to you, and so you feel like, you know, I, I don't have to be so glued to this stuff if I don't like it, like I can really just watch the stuff that I like. And he'll even tell me that today. I was like, I, I told him like a couple weeks ago, I was like, man, you know, I, I wanted to be back in on Raw and SmackDown because I wanted to kind of just be so in tune with things for WrestleMania. But when the Miz was running away from Bobby Lashley, like two or three different times on that one Raw show, I just like, I had to give up because I felt like they were talking down to me. Like I was just some idiot fan. And I was just like, Nope, I have to, I'm not watching anymore. And so some people don't like it when you say that, because they're like, how can you talk about this stuff? And you don't watch. And I get that point of view completely. But Dave was like, you don't even have to watch. This stuff is so not important. And you know, he knows that I listen and I read him. So he's like, yeah, like it's not even that big of a deal. You're not missing anything. And so I think, you know, if you look at it from that point of view, because there are a lot of WWE loyalists, right? There are people who continually watch Monday Night Raw even if they don't like it just because that's what they've been doing for 20 years. I, I just stopped. I had to stop because I was getting too frustrated. And um, the one thing that I learned, though, is because I was just like that. You know, I probably was sticking through Raw until about um, somewhere probably late 2000s where I finally, like, I had missed a Raw, and then I didn't go back on the DVR to watch it. Like, I just listened to Brian and Dave, and then nothing happened. Like, I didn't miss anything. And I was like, wow, huh. If I if I don't, you know, if I didn't watch, then I'm probably going to be okay. And then, you know, I'd get back into watching, and then I'd, mi I'd missed another day, and I was like, wow. I didn't even, you know, I, I didn't need to watch this show, but the once you do it once or twice or three times, it becomes so easy. And like now, if I don't, if I don't, if Raw upsets me, I'm saying I'll take off two months and I'll come back when I when something's fun. And again, some people don't like that because they think if you talk about this stuff, you should be watching it with your eyes. I get that. Thankfully, I don't have to talk about Raw or SmackDown all that much. Um, you know, we're, John and I are focusing on AEW and NXT, which I do watch a hundred percent. But yeah, you know, it, it it's become. The point of what you know what's the point of no return for wwe television when they they just pile it on because they're just looking for hours like i i don't remember the last time i watched the network outside of a, a network special or a or 97 raw like they have all of these really cool at least what it seems like is cool documentaries little personal profile personality profiles and i'm just like i don't want to turn that thing on because i'm just overwhelmed like i get anxiety when i look at all the things that i missed that i <laughs> probably would be okay watching so i did you know but once you know I'm, I'm now uncomfortable and i don't feel the uh i guess the pressure to watch everything and i was like okay i'm good you know i'll listen to dave and brian i'll read up on it 
I may listen to um, somebody else or uh, on our on our um, on our group. I'll read the raw thread and I'll look at what Daniel has to say or, or Paul has to say on certain things and go, okay, maybe maybe I'll go watch the YouTube clip of that or whatever. But yeah, I do not have the same pressures to watch as much of that television as I once did. And it's so easy to find stuff that I mean, if you hear something really good on Raw SmackDown, just go on YouTube and, and find it and watch it. And then I think the pay-per-views normally are quite good for WWE. I, I normally do enjoy watching I'm, them. I'm generally entertained, I would say. Now, you, you may not agree with the booking and you may not agree with what I would say is the payoff because... A lot of times they are telling a story in a way where I don't know if they exactly know where they want it to go or when they want it to end. So you're kind of left in the middle a lot. And um, and so, you know, if you're if when you watch a monthly pay-per-view, if your whole reason to watch is to see the payoff, oh, I want to see the culmination of this. They don't often do that anymore. But if you're just looking for okay wrestling, if you're looking for, you know, guys that you like or women that you like, you know, that that's the other thing, right? Is now with the, um, you get to watch Charlotte and Becky's not here right now, but hopefully she comes back. And when Ronda was there and now it's, you know, Sasha and Bailey and Bianca and now it's Rhea. Like they're real draws to me. Whereas, you know, 10 years ago, the, the 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 women weren't even pushed in in a way that you that you were supposed to take them seriously. So that is one thing to where I'm like, okay, if I get to see Sasha Banks match, I'll live with whatever the goofy, crappy finish to the main event is because you know she's gonna you know tear it up. Well, yeah, the, the two matches I'm more interested in than than any other finishes WrestleMania are definitely the two women's matches with Bianca and Sasha and and Rhea and uh, Asuka. I think those would be fantastic matches I, I can't wait to see but your um, viewing habits now i mean obviously you, you watch AEW and nxt every week because you you talk about that on the well it's still on the blue wire um yes fight game uh, podcast with, with john every week but what else do you i mean new japan i mean is that something you try to keep up with as, as much as you can i have been less interested in new new japan since the uh, pandemic I don't know if it's purposely or not, but I find some of the storytelling to be like kind of like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge thing going like, yes, you know, we desperately can't wait for fans to come back. So we're going to hold off our best stuff. But still, like when you get a New Japan Cup and you get Will Ospreay just going nuts and you get Shingo uh, Shingo Takagi going crazy and you get to see Ishii like... It really is, you know, top-of-the-line stuff. Now, it is hard, right? If you are uh, in the U.S. or if you are in a different country other than Japan, there's going to be a time thing. And I get the most rush watching wrestling with our group. And so, if possible, I'm going to watch it live so I can experience it with all of us in our group. And that's the that's that's part of the thing with New Japan is, you know, we can rarely watch it live. Although I did, there were a handful of us who were watching the Tokyo Dome, the two shows in the Tokyo Dome, live. And so, you know, I paid for it the next couple of days. But that was fun because you're watching it with you know a handful of people who are really diehards. And so, you know, that's part of it. Is I I wish that we all 
uh, could watch the New Japan stuff together, like, live at a decent time. Because I think the interest would even be way higher than it is. But still, you know, quality is quality. And even if you can't watch it, even if you have to, you know, stay off of social media and not pay attention to spoilers and, and kind of watch it and pretend that it's live, like, it's still good enough to where I'm, I'm okay doing that and I don't really feel too uh, too frustrated doing that. And the G1 was, was so much fun in the in the uh, group last year as well when we had the uh obviously uh chris samsa uh coming up with the um what do we call it the uh the challenge the uh yeah that yeah, I thought, I, that was fun that was re- that was really fun and, and um yeah it was great because that, that's why i really sort of really started to get into the group and and really started to enjoy it uh was during the g1 and there were some really fantastic matches that one night that really stands out the most um, yeah, but yeah, fun, yeah, it was just great from start to finish. But um, the next question is, well, it, all all the questions now are, are rapid fire, although okay. they never really are rapid fire. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't know why I call them that. But favorite wrestler of all time, who who would be uh, on up there for you for that? I mean, if I have to pick, it's probably going to be a tie between um, Hogan, Rock, Austin, Jericho used to be up there. He's probably uh, just a slight echelon behind. Same with Flair. I'll just say Austin. He is probably, even though his run was uh, on top of short, I feel like I got to see him very early because I was watching the 1991, 1982 right. WCW yeah. stuff. And that's when he's kind of the young buck of the, of the group. And so I always was really an Austin fan going back then. And so to see him become something in in wwf it was really like a shock to me i was like oh my god like how did this guy who used to be studying steve austin just become the top guy and it made what it made you understand very clearly is you know a lot of this is is where you get pegged and he was always pegged as like i think he he calls it a good hand and you know once he got a little bit of freedom to do some of the stuff then you saw the, the opportunity that he took it and you know really what what happened is, is what he did what him and rock did has cursed that entire future of the company because like if you're vince and you you know and you always hear the bullshit about grabbing the brass ring and all that stuff that's really who he's pointing to because he flags austin as this mid-card guy and he puts this goofy belt on him and he's got these you know uh, the, the million dollar belt and, and million dollar sleeper and this and that and that's just how you peg him and then all of a sudden he's like no like this is really who I am you need to give me an opportunity and you give him a little bit of run you give him a little bit of run but what Vince doesn't realize and maybe he does realize it I don't want to put words in his mouth he was going to be so open to stuff because he was getting his ass kicked every week in the ratings and so you gotta he's gotta be open to things and so rock oh you know austin's got this little bit of momentum here maybe we'll add him here a little bit more a little bit more and then you have rock on the other end where he's like you have me as this smiling baby face and i'm faltering i need to go heal and, and become this other character so you're really talking about two guys who took the bull by the horns but because Vince was going to be open to it, because he was losing. Now, think about now when he does that same crap about the, the brass ring and you're a guy like, um, I don't know, let's just say Dolph Ziggler, right? 
Like, Vince isn't, doesn't need to experiment with anything. His show is so consistent. He, the money is so consistent. What does he have to care about, you know, when it comes to somebody who's unhappy in their characters? Like, oh, yeah, join the club. Like, you know, we're, we're moving forward. But, yeah, back then in 1996, 97, he had to be willing to try things because they were losing and so that whole like that whole thing about grabbing the brass ring because those guys were able to do it, Vince had to be open to it. And so now he uses this thing against this current generation. And it's like, yeah, they have no chance because you don't care and you don't have anybody pushing your buttons so that you actually have to come out of your comfort zone. So this whole grabbing the brass ring thing is just such a like a false nomer. And I hate it when they talk about it because it's just like, yeah, no, it's, it's all about the only thing that matters is, does Vince think that you should be at the top? If yes, then great. You're going to be at the top. If no, then you're just going to be with, you know, 85% of the rest of the talent. And the point you're at now with uh, 97 Raws is, is right where you can tell right they're going full speed ahead with austin you know because oh, yeah. he, he had just obviously just had the match with brett and vince is still the announcer at this point so he can still sort of lead the narrative and you know he's he is really putting over steve austin's performance in that match and the fact he never gave up he never quit he's actually as you said on the last uh, show he's actually questioning ken shamrock like, why did you stop the match <laughs> so yeah, yeah. exactly you can tell they're really going all the way with with, with Austin, and I, I sort of asked Dave on the um, Zoom call. I mean, if Austin hadn't have cut that promo at King of the Ring, would he have still caught fire the way he did? He probably would have done because it wasn't like he became an overnight star after that King of the Ring. I mean, it took a while, uh, but yeah, once once they finally went all the way with him, no one sort of ran faster than he did for that for that relatively short period of time because obviously he had the neck injury which ended up shortening his career. But um, the next question is favourite match. Now, if it's not a Steve Austin match, I want to also ask you what your favourite Steve Austin match is. But favourite match of all time, what would that be? It's, it's got to be the, uh, the Omega win. Um, I, I, I'd, always hold, I'd always held the Austin-Bret Hart match from WrestleMania 13 as kind of like the top-of-the-line match where you know if you, if you can get close to that match, then it's a great match. But I think the Omega and Okada match passed it, and uh, that that was just amazing because I I never and some of it is also who I watched it with because it was like me and Meltzer and Laraka and uh, our, our our buddy the Heartbreak Kid David Rubio, and so when you're watching it with those guys, and we're all sort of like popping at the same time and uh, the same near falls we're like oh my god like that watching with that crew was actually really awesome but i i want to throw out this is the best match i've watched live i also have, I have two two really memorable matches i've watched live that are just right up there with that austin bret hart match and one of them is the Shawn michaels undertaker match which is the retirement match that uh, michaels loses at wrestlemania 26 I know a lot of people like the 25 match better. I didn't like it as much because I sort of found it a little bit more predictable and I kind of was able to call the finish and everything. But 26 had me a little bit more intrigued because I, was, I thought Michaels was going to lose, but then there were moments where I didn't think he was going to lose. And I got to watch that one with my kids because they came with me uh, for the trip. They would have been, um, gosh, they would have been like 10 and 
nine or something. And so, you know, that's like their first experience at this like big event kind of thing. I'd taken them to house shows and, and to Raw before, but this was really like their their moment of seeing like what wrestling is from the spectacle standpoint. So that's the that's the other match. And then the the Dark Horse one is um at Live Raw, Austin and Triple H losing the tag straps to Benoit and Jericho. That crowd was so ridiculous that it just made that match. Oh, is that the match? Uh, is that the match where Triple H tore his quad? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And what? you know what's funny is I've read. <laughs> I think Meltzer spoils the finish in uh, in a report that day, and he says that you know he says something to the effect of you know unless things change, it looks like Jericho and Benoit are going to win the tag titles at Raw. So this is, you know, we're already super jazzed just to just to go to Raw. And then when he said that, I was like, oh, my God, did I want to know? Did I not want to know? But then there's this other part of you. When you know what the finish is supposed to be, Dave leaves a little bit of slack enough to where you're like, okay, well, it's possible that it may not happen because he said, you know, if, it's, if things don't change. So we're there and that the crowd is going nuts and you really never saw the little guys beat the big guys because we, that's what we were waiting for that that entire time was like for Jericho and Benoit to be treated as equals and they were in that match and when they pulled that match out it was like finally you know that's what, I mean that collectively the crowd what the crowd was doing was really cheering really loud but what they were also doing at the same time is they were like Finally, these guys who we love may be treated as equals to the to the top stars, and so that was a really memorable match too. Where do you stand on Benoit matches now? Are are you able to sort of go back and look at them and appreciate them for what they were, or is it difficult to do that given what happened? Yeah, it's hard. I will not go out and search for a Benoit match. Um, you know that that WrestleMania twenty triple threat match is one of my favorite matches too, and I thought it just told such a compelling story. That being said, I will not just go back and watch it if, if I want to watch something. Like sometimes I'll have to watch Benoit for research, and I'll watch it, and I can I can sort of get back into it. But you know, I did a podcast uh, last year when they did the Ben the, the Benoit Dark Side of the Ring. So we had um, we I think we had like a, the copy like the weekend before. So I had it for a few days. And uh, and so I, I wanted my wife, who has you know she, the, what she knows about wrestling is is basically she taught uh, she taught uh, Korean students uh, English when you know she went to Korea for uh, a, a, I think for a whole year, and her some of her students were into wrestling, so she knew who like Stone Cold Steve Austin was through there, but she has no even understanding of what had happened and the Benoit situation and who Chris Benoit was. So we watched it. And then I did like 20 minutes of a podcast with her. Uh, the, it was probably maybe the day, the, the couple days before the show had even come out, I think. And it was like one of the highest listened to podcasts because we had the Benoit thing before uh, everyone was able to really watch it. And so I, through her eyes, I was able to go like, okay, like this is in the past. I don't have, you know, I, I can just sort of treat it as what it is because she was just like not 
I mean, she, I mean, the story was grisly, right? She understood the story, but she didn't have this same tie to not only Benoit, but to wrestling as I did. So this wasn't even that big of a deal to her. It was, it would just be like the Charlie Manson story, right? Or the Charles Manson story. Like, oh yeah, like he, he did these really bad things and I could dislike those things, but I don't have to think about them except when he's mentioned on TV. And I think for some of us as wrestling fans, because we're often defending wrestling so much, it's almost like, you know, this Benoit thing happened and we have to somehow uh, defend wrestling to people who are like, oh, yeah, wrestling is just that thing where that guy killed his family. And so we're so, like, defensive and reactive to that kind of stuff. And after she and I talked about it, I was like, OK, I can let this thing go. It doesn't affect me one way. And it's just something that happened. The best live show that you attended, so there's probably quite a few choices for this, but what would you go with if you're going to choose one? That Raw that I talked about was really strong because it was also, I think it was the beginning of the Shane McMahon-Kurt Angle feud. Uh, but I think I would have to go to, it's either, it's one of WrestleMania 26 or WrestleMania 31, and I kind of go back and forth on this. Now, there is that New Japan ROH show for Madison Square Garden, which was awesome, as well as that NXT Brooklyn show, which was awesome. But that weekend was so hard because I was so tired. I got such a little sleep that entire weekend. That Brooklyn card is like a blur to me. I don't even remember what happened. And that New Japan show was great, but we skipped out and you know, of, of the ROH ladder match, and we walked around the garden, and we hung out because it was just like, we are so burnt out. If we don't get up and walk, we're going to fall asleep in our chairs. So if I could sort of go back and do those shows again and be bright-eyed and not super beat up, I'm sure those would be on the list. But it has to be WrestleMania 31 and WrestleMania 26. I thought the, the 31 is just the outdoor part of that show. Now, for people who don't know, Levi's Stadium is where the 49ers play. That stadium is notorious for being built incorrectly without any thought of where the sun was going to be during the daytime. And so for, I think that show started at three um, and there's like a two hour pre-show before the show main show started at five on attacking Pacific time. It wasn't until about seven 30 that it was actually comfortable for people who were not in shadow. So me and my kids are sitting there sweating for two hours before we can actually get the before the sun could kind of hide behind a little bit. But the second it hid behind and started a little bit dark, oh my gosh, it was such a majestic experience. My favorite ever pro wrestling live experience was when that sun went down a little bit. And especially during that main event where it's now it's dark. And you're thinking, like, okay, this match is going to be over. We're almost done. And then Seth Rollins comes out at the end. And you're like, oh, my God, there's more WrestleMania left. Like, that was amazing. So it's either that show or 26. And 26 just had that terrific main event. But I also, you know, the, the one thing that is the same about both of those cards is, you know, I was able to bring my kids to both of them. So they're not, I wouldn't call them giant wrestling fans. Like, my youngest is actually into the UFC, not into wrestling. But to see those with them and to spend that time with them at both of these like really good WrestleMania cards. That's, you know, that's also part of it. 
I love that story about from from twenty six where the meet and greet with uh, Punk and, and Gallows, and, and Gallows <laughs> yeah. sort of asks, asks your son, "Who's your favorite wrestler?" And he doesn't doesn't have an answer, and you're like, "Why didn't you ask him?" It's like, well. It was Jeff Hardy. I didn't want to upset Luke Gallows. And you're like, well, it's okay. No one likes Luke Gallows anyway. Yeah. It's just like, look, the, the day that somebody tells Luke Gallows that he's their favorite wrestler is the day that he jumps up out of his seat and goes, hallelujah, there's, you know, there's one of you. But he didn't, he like, I'm just like, he didn't expect you to say him. He's like, oh, okay. Because I was a little scared that I was going to hurt his feelings. I was like, I was like yeah, well, that's that's nice, but yeah, he didn't. I don't think he really cared. Yeah, that that was a fun. That whole weekend was, was so much fun. Just uh, you know that that it's it was even more important to to uh, it was important to them. But again, they're not. They didn't. They grew up as big time wrestling fans. You know, they had all the figures and stuff. But they grew out of it much more early than I did when I was their age. Like, to where it wasn't as important. And, you know, they're, they're more into basketball and baseball and football. And so we actually went to spring training game the night before. So we got to see some baseball. And so we did other stuff as well. And it wasn't only wrestling. But wrestling was the main event. And it's just, you know, I, I'm glad that I got to have those experiences with them. But look, if WrestleMania comes back to the Bay Area um, for, uh, you know, whenever... They're gonna go, like they'll totally go because they they will remember how much fun it is to watch live, even if they don't really know what's going on. And similarly, because they both go to school in Arizona, if WWE does a big show out in Arizona and they're still out there for school, like I'll probably head out there, and so we could all go together again too. Like it's just like one of those things where, you know, when I was a kid, you know, if my dad took me to WrestleMania, I would like, I would have been head over heels. But they just, I mean, they've been pretty lucky. They, they've they gotten to do lots of cool stuff. They've gotten to go to Warriors playoff games and, you know, lots of baseball games and stuff. So that's just been a part of our lives. And, and uh, you know, they're, it's just sort of like always everything what they've done in, in their life. I have to ask you, what does wrestling sort of rank compared to other sports? I mean, would baseball sort of be number one for you? Um. From a knowledge perspective, I know more about baseball than almost everything that I know in life. And because I played for so long and I coached, I, you know, it, it, like I always try to, to gauge it like this. If the World Series and my team was playing um, at the same time as the Super Bowl and my team was playing, at the same time as the NBA Championship and my team was playing, which one would I choose, right? Like that's kind of like how I, I look at it. I would probably choose baseball first. I choose basketball second, and I choose football third. But they're like so close. It's like one A, one B, and one C. And plus, you're a huge boxing fan as well, right? So when I was a kid, when I was like thirteen or fourteen, pro wrestling may have been in that mix of that top three. But today, it's not really because one is because it's just so like you can just. I can watch pro wrestling anywhere, anytime. It's so easy to find. It's always on. Um, but two, the, the importance, the superstar, the uh, bigger-than-life characters no longer exist in pro wrestling. There isn't a Hogan. There isn't a Austin. There isn't a Rock. Um, the closest we'll get is someone like, 
you know, Roman, right? Roman, Roman in another era, he's probably gigantic. When Vince McMahon uh, still has his A game in 1992, Roman is probably gigantic. But it's just a different business today. I would say the way that I would look at it today is if a UFC show or a big boxing main event or WrestleMania was all on the same day, I think I would probably pick the boxing match just because boxing is treated when it comes to the main events, when it comes to the important fights, the pageantry of the whole thing. It's just a much bigger sport to the public. And the UFC would be second and WrestleMania would be third. Like, that's just kind of how it fits now. But it doesn't mean I like boxing or I like UFC better than wrestling. It's just they promote their sports when it comes to those big moments much better than WWE does today. And uh, But, you know, on the flip side, if it's a live event, I probably would rather go to WrestleMania because I just know that there's going to be so many people there that I enjoy and I want to hang out with. The final question I ask everyone is, if you could change one thing about the business, what would it be? So, Is there one thing about wrestling that you wish you could change? I think... I've actually been thinking about this a lot because um, you and I and a couple of other folks are going to be in on an interview with a guy by the name of Bill Hanstock who wrote a book called uh, Main Event Subject to Change. It's about the history of the WWE and I sat back as I'm reading this book. It's making me think back about all these moments that uh, Vince McMahon uh, probably reacted to and, and is why the business is the way it is today. And I think one of those reasons, one of the things, one of the igniters for Vince to kind of change the way that he was doing things is because he could not find another Rock and another Austin. Like he was trying so hard. He thought it was Cena, and Cena did a great job, right? But he right. wasn't at that level. And then he thought it was Roman, and Roman has done a good job. I think Roman was kind of a square peg put into a round hole, and it's not really his fault. And then maybe it was Brock, but, you know, Brock goes to the UFC and becomes a giant star when WWE had him, and they, they couldn't, you know, he wasn't happy there. And so that's a missed opportunity. I think the thing that I would change is I would get I, I would sit Vince down and I would say, look, this is what's going to happen. Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock are once in a lifetime wrestling stars, just like Hulk Hogan, just like Bruno San Martino. If you compare every single top guy to those four, that guy that top guy is more than likely going to fail in your eyes every time and i would try and change his mentality about what he thought and what he was scared of and what he needed to be conservative with because you know the benoit thing obviously he had to figure out a way to make his business um adverse to these guys who were just so passionate and look the Benoit is probably it's few and far between like that happened that's a tragedy and that is not the norm but he had this business where he had this like false brass ring and there were these people trying you know thinking that if they worked hard enough they could get to it and and really 
they probably couldn't. But I would just I would just say, look, you're never going to get a Rock again. You're never going to get an Austin again. If you get a Cena, if you get a Roman, great. If you get a Brock, great. You need to treat those guys like they were your Austin or your Rock. Because I think what happens is is the flip side is that he decided the brand is more important than everything. And if I make the brand so important, I can protect my investment and I am not at the mercy of whoever the top guy is. If Brock Lesnar wants to go play football, okay, it's, it's going to suck for me a little bit, but guess what? It's not going to tank my business. If John Cena wants to go into movies, great. It's, it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to tank my business. You know, it's going to be a loss, but I'll be fine. He went into that mentality, which is what, which is the reason why we have WWE the way that it is today. It was probably the smartest thing for his pocketbook. I, I'm almost sure that it was, because he has created this uh, system in which he they they they, they are uh, bulletproof. But from my own selfish perspective as a wrestling fan, I wish he would trust the system a little bit more yeah. and really allow stars to be stars because I think there's so much talent today. There may, again, there's not, there's not a rock probably there's not an Austin probably, but there is so much talent on his roster that somebody would be able to stand out kind of like what happened to Becky, right? He actually did go with Becky yeah. because he couldn't like, but that was such a fluke. It shouldn't have to be a fluke for those moments to happen. He should be able to see a guy and go, okay, we're going to give this guy a chance. Boom. Possibility for that person to get over. Oh, you know, Charlotte is great, and, you know, we're not going to let her get beat because we're comfortable with her. But, oh, we have this, you know, we have we have a Bianca, we have a Rhea. You know what? Let's Let's see what happens if Rhea beats Charlotte. Can she go to the moon? Possibly. But then if we invest too much in Rhea, you know, what, where does that leave us leverage-wise? Is she going to want to go work for the other company? Like, that, like, you have to think like that. But at the same time, why don't we just make stars again so that the popularity of wrestling can go up? Like, you know, great, Charlotte beats Rhea. You know, Rhea's at a certain place. But just, just think back, if we go all the way back and replay WrestleMania 36, and Rhea actually beats Charlotte. How would she have been changed from the last year? I mean, it's a booking decision. It's, it's just a decision. But if Vince had a different mentality on what he wanted his company to be, I think us as wrestling fans, WWE would be more popular and we would just be so much more happier as fans. Right, because I think one of those, either her or Shayna had to win, I think. And I probably would have had both of them go over. But I think at least one of them had to win. Either Shayna had to beat Becky or Charlotte had to lose to Rhea. And, and instead, Charlotte and Becky both win. So you, you miss an opportunity to really make someone. And you're right, I mean, there has been times when they haven't gotten behind guys when they could have done. I mean, even Daniel Bryan. I mean, they, they went with Daniel Bryan, but the reality is he probably would have just got beaten by Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just would have got fed to Brock. And I mean, there was times... Well, well, and and why, why do you choose Brock? Because... You've locked up Brock. You're paying him $5 million a year. You want to get the most out of your investment. And Daniel Bryan, 
you don't really see him like you see Brock. When Daniel Bryan walks into the room and he says, hey, Vince, and, and you shake his hand, you're not intimidated in the least. So it's like those kind of things, you know, it's just like, uh, like how about we just go with somebody because they're catching on and just see what happens. That's what that's what I miss about wrestling. Well, just go with Rusev. When, when Rusev Day was, was getting over, but they just... That for whatever reason, it never happened, and and uh, yeah, it is a shame that uh, we go if we go back to Steve Austin. I mean, he wasn't the guy in Vince's mind at all. I don't think you know, but he got over, and so so Vince, his back was against the wall, and so he ran with him. Do you think it's going to take Vince's back being really against the wall for him to make a decision like that? Well, that's what we thought about. This is why John LaRock and I were covering the Wednesday Night War because our thought was is that the bigger and better AEW becomes, then that forces Vince McMahon to get his fastball back. And it just never happened. Like, Vince is still, like, doesn't really have his fastball. Um, and so, you know, I don't think it... I mean, maybe if AEW gets gigantically popular, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. And, and, you know, what they're doing is, is still um, very much serving their... their small-ish fan base, but probably not the pro wrestling fan base at large. I, I don't think that Vince is going to be able to get it back outside of lucking into somebody. Um, and, it, and it will have to be luck because he, he really puts people in their spots immediately. Um, and it'll have to be luck because I think the next superstar has to be organic. It's got to be fan-chosen. It's not going to be someone that Vince forces down their throat. Like, I think that's what the edge thing isn't working, right? Is because what wrestling fan do you know who said, you know what? I really want Edge to be the biggest star in the promotion. Nobody really said that. What we said is, gosh, I kind of miss Edge, and I wouldn't mind seeing him wrestle, you know, every once in a while. You know, I hope that he's healthy and we, we really like him. But nobody said that, and I think that's what kind of bit them a little bit in the butt is that they thought that they had this really uh, great comeback story and it, the fans were just like oh yeah we kind of remember that guy he, he's 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 an old guy you know he kind of you know he tries to dress like a kid but he's really an old guy and it's unfortunate because edge is great um but it made him this like miscast baby face right so i think it's gonna it's gonna be someone who's organic and they could still catch fire because wwe has the biggest uh, opportunity they get the they got the most TV they have the social media they have some of you know if anybody's going to write about wrestling like these websites like Variety or Hollywood Reporter they're going to write about WWE because they know Peacock is behind them NBC Universal so it's it would it would take somebody to organically get over to organically blow up and Vince not stunt that growth and just be like nope. I don't want this to happen, and thus it's not happening. So uh, he'd have to be open to it, but I do think it's got to be organic. It's not going to be one of his chosen, you know, few that because the fans just react negatively to that. Or would it have to take somebody other than Vince out of the helm for it to happen? I think Triple H is great, but if you've been watching NXT for the last year, they have not made that product better with the two hours of usa versus the, the wwe network version of that show the wwe network version of that show was a lot better but also you know it was only an hour a week so it, it had the you know had the opportunity to not be overexposed 
I, I mean, I like Triple H. I like what he's done. I think he's more honest. But at the same time, I'm not sure that he has the recipe either. And will that recipe work on a big stage? That is like to be determined, right? We'll have to wait and see on that. And uh, uh, I'm hopeful though, because I because I like the I still like the XT product. I know a lot of people are a little down on it, but I still, for the majority, I still like it because they got some really good wrestlers and. You know, hopefully on this takeover with these two nights coming in a couple of weeks, you know, they'll be allowed to, to really just go go all out. And I think it'll be fun. Garrett, we could talk all night. We, we really could. And it's been absolutely it's been great. It's been a pleasure to have you on uh, to do this. And as I say, this this podcast would not it wouldn't exist without you because I wouldn't have gotten to meet all these great people uh, through the uh, the fight game podcast Facebook group and uh i can't thank you enough for that so well I want, i'm going to turn it around on you and say that i have talked to a lot of people in that group who did not know you before you came in and who are now really big fans of yours and you know i, I don't mean fans in the way of like you know they, they you know like you're like a, a celebrity or anything but i i mean they're a fan of you as a person and I think what's interesting is when it comes to this internet community stuff, like really like the reason why we exist is because we have the same passions and the same hobbies and maybe the same experiences growing up. And that really connects us. But sort of the next step out is like, you really want to be friends with people like uh, somebody um, like Justin Payne, who is in our group is somebody who you should talk to as well. He is somebody who I've known for 10 years now, and every time we hang out, I just love talking to him. And, you know, we live in different areas, but that one that one time a year where we get to hang out, I so cherish it, and I look forward to it because I just like him as a person. And that's kind of the end game, I think, for us with this group is, you know, when we are back in person and we are able to do stuff and you know, I know you're going to have to come a long way if you do want to come out to like a WrestleMania or a big AEW show. But at the end of the day, that's really what, what it's about is, you know, being able to hang out with you and being able to buy you dinner or buy you a drink and just say, David, like, I really appreciate you as a person. Like, that's that's kind of what I hope that we get to do at some point, because, you know, you're in the group, your contributions your passion you're such a nice person like that is who um is who i know and that's the person that i also want to know in person as well so i want to thank you for being such a positive influence in that group and i love it when you post these podcasts because i just think back to beginning of this group and going like man you know if people are creating content i want them to share it because we want to celebrate those people. And the fact that you've actually created this podcast and I think you've sort of figured out how to share it a little bit wider and the people in the group love it. Like that's really cool stuff. And I'm glad even if I'm just a little bit of a small inspiration for that, but the fact that you have an outlet to get some of your passions out, it's so awesome. And I love that you do it. And I love that you share them in that group. Well, it, it kind of started for selfish reasons because obviously getting to know people in, in the group you want to you want to find out more about them right so you you want to know well how did they become a fan so i thought what can i do and I, I can do a podcast i can have all these people on and 
yeah it's kind of taken on a life of its own and, and it's really become like a real labor of love and I, I really do enjoy doing it and there's so many and Justin Payne is definitely someone I want to have on at some point but there's a there's a long list to get through but uh yeah I, I can't wait to do more of them and and uh yeah it's, it's it's an absolute privilege to be in that group and and I can only echo what you just said you know hopefully when things open up again and, and we can start to travel um I mean, you're you're more you're more than welcome to come over to the UK. By the way, I haven't got necessarily. Yeah, no, I I would I would love to go. You know, I have a, I have a. Have you been to the UK? I don't know if you know uh, Alan Forel that well, but I've known Alan Forel and uh, Dewan, who are both in that group. But Alan Forel is kind of like a legend with the F4W community. He also does some stuff for Pro Wrestling Torch. Like, I want to go visit those dudes because I've known them. You know, now they're like grown ups, like established <laughs> adults, and I knew them when they were like in their young twenties. So, yeah, I want to go to Ireland. I would love to go to the UK. Like, there's so many places. You know, now that uh, I remarried, um, you know, we want to do some stuff. I want to go to Japan. Like, there's so many things that I want to do, and definitely would love to go visit you guys out there. How how was a lockdown wedding, by the way? How did that? How was that for you? I mean, was it was it, was it kind of even more? Did it kind of make it more in, intimate in a way? There was... Well, I, I will say that I have I married somebody who is so gosh, how do I don't even describe it? Like my personality is like, okay, sort of take life as it comes, make the best out of it, and let's just keep it moving. Like I'm not gonna fret on negative things. We're just gonna try to be as positive as possible. And so, you know, for her to be okay with not having this big wedding and we'll, we'll still try to do something in person, you know, maybe after uh, a couple of years, uh, maybe for an anniversary or something, we'll still get that party, throw that party that we always wanted but for her just to be okay with everything. And I was like, man, you know, I really married the right person because her personality, it, it uh, interacts with mine so well. Cause if somebody uh, in, in that in that position, if I had married somebody who was just so frustrated that we couldn't have the wedding that we wanted, and then this version of the wedding wasn't good enough, like that's probably not the the perfect match with my personality. But she very early was like, "Look, we got to play the cards that we were dealt. We're still going to get married. We can make it the best possible thing. We'll we'll, we'll use technology. We'll get people, uh, you know, to to do video stuff." And she found the the person who who was put put the zoom thing together so it was it was awesome uh it was very memorable like how do you not remember the, the you know the wedding that that you sort of had to create and uh yeah it, it was it was great like i i have no i have no qualms i have no i'm not looking back and going like ah pandemic you screwed up no we did it we had a great time and we we made the best out of the situation garrett thanks once again it, like i said it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on all right, man. So, you know, keep doing these. Get as many people. I can't wait to see, like, podcast number 50. But I don't know. <laughs> Can you get to, like, every single person in this group? you got a lot of work ahead of you, man. Well, I, I hope so. That's the goal. I mean, there's, uh, yeah, there's, there's definitely, well, I, I think uh, 50 is definitely accomplishable, uh, if that's even a word. Uh, but um, I'm not sure how many more of these i can how many how many members are there's like 230 or something like that to like 280 something oh it's gone up even more since i last looked okay so yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just growing all the time yeah yeah no keep it going i love it i love it when you post them 
um, you know, hopefully you're you're getting the feedback that you're looking for. But also at the end of the day, you got to do you got to do that show, and you only your your audience is really one, and that is you. If you are happy with how these shows turn out, then that then then that's it. That then you're good, and and that's who you that that's your your bar, right? That's that's your your uh your goal is is if you're happy with it boom you did a great job and if you're not then you go oh i need to just tweak this and tweak that like that's how you're going to get better at this stuff and that's how you're going to do more shows is you're going to constantly be listening to your own voice and like i said you know the only uh what what is the jay-z line uh in one of the songs (laughs) i look in the mirror my only opponent right like you're you're the you're the only one you have to please man so keep doing them uh, I know sometimes, you know, scheduling things is hard and such, but people love you. So I hope to hear so many more of these shows. Plus you go back and listen to early ones and you can like find a hundred things you could have done differently and things you can improve <laughs> upon. But that, that's the whole beauty of it, isn't it? I mean, if you, if you don't find things to improve upon, then I'd probably quit to be honest with you. Cause you, you, you always want to try and better yourself. So yeah, absolutely. But right, yeah, man. thanks a lot. Yep. Absolutely. I love, I loved it. And, uh, We'll do it again sometime.